Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union Naval. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, where we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor for Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan today while he's on assignment. Well, it looks like we're going to have a interesting clash of superpowers in the world over the coming year. Let me give you a little snapshot of what the superpowers are all doing today. China has its leader, Xi Jinping, visiting with Russian President Vladimir Putin, his close ally and friend, uh, dear friend, according to both of them. They were slobbering all over each other during this meeting. And China is sending a number of messages with this meeting. They're saying that they're not going to criticize uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They haven't. They haven't denounced it in any way. They do make some noises about how all they want is peace over there in Beijing, but they, they won't say anything bad about Putin invading Ukraine. And they have this peace plan that the Chinese have been touting that is very nebulous. It's a very vague little little plot of uh, points, like 12 points. And the Russians have acted like they're not very excited by whatever this is, but the Chinese say it's the greatest thing ever. And if China manages to broker a peace in Ukraine somehow, some way, if they're involved at all and uh, the fighting stops and China can say, we brought uh, the Russians and Ukrainians together and we made this happen, that would build on them recently having negotiated a rapprochement between South, uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Just a couple of weeks ago, China managed to bring the Saudis and the Iranians, who are our tribals in the region together, and they've reopened relations with each other. And it was seen as a huge surprise diplomatic coup for China. Nobody saw this coming. It was a big surprise announcement. And it, it really put China on the stage as a global uh, peacemaker, global negotiator. So if China can actually present itself as the key mediator in this Russia, in the Russia-Ukraine situation, put that on top of the Saudi-Iran thing. And China would, at that point, I think with some reason, say that they had now eclipsed the United States as the dominant power. The U.S. is under decline under Joe Biden, retreating on all fronts, beginning with the debacle in Afghanistan. Nobody takes America seriously anymore. And in this whole business with Ukraine, at this moment, the Biden administration is pretty much on the sidelines. They're, uh, they're just watching what the Chinese and the Russians and the Ukrainians are doing. And all they can do is carp and, and cavil. They're, they're over there in the shadows yelling, hooting at the Chinese and saying, don't you dare work out a deal where Russia gets to keep Eastern Ukraine. That would be wrong. But nobody's listening to them. They're, they're not a factor. At the same time, the Japanese prime minister, Kishida Fumio, he turned up in Ukraine all of a sudden by surprise today. Nobody knew he was coming. He was on a trip to India and then he flies to Poland, jumps on a train and boom, he's in Kiev and he's there promising his support to Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, and saying that Japan is just appalled by Russia's atrocities uh, in Ukraine and they want this, this mad war to end as soon as possible. Now, the Japanese have some bad blood with the Russians. They have some old disputes that they're still working on. So that's part of uh, Japan's reasoning here. But the Japanese are also really concerned Concerned, I think quite reasonably, that if the Russians succeed in conquering Ukraine, if they win this invasion in, in any real sense, then that emboldens China, their partner in the new axis of tyranny, to start grabbing land in the South China Sea or invading Taiwan, which are things that Japan does not want to see happen. So Kishida goes to Kiev and he basically says, we are forming this new Indo-Pacific partnership, me and the Indians, where all these nations in the hemisphere were allied with the United States, we're their friends, uh, we're allied with the Europeans, but you need to take us seriously as a power too. We're, we're a significant power with influence with money, and we are not going to stand for this horrible attack on Ukraine. We're going to speak up for human rights, and we're not going to let the Russians get away with this. So we're standing foursquare with the Ukrainians. So that's what Japan's doing with, uh, with the Ukrainians. What was the White House doing? Talking to the cast of Ted Lasso. 
That's what the Biden White House thought was important today. They had a, a press conference with the cast of a comedy show called Ted Lasso, and they brought them into the White House for whatever reason. I guess there's going to be an episode of the show or something where they go to the White House. And uh, while they're doing this, they bring the, these actors uh, into the White House briefing room, and the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, she starts running the, the usual meeting and not taking questions because she doesn't take questions. She only takes questions from friendly media sources. And this very determined African reporter who just refuses to, to leave her alone, has been turning up in all these White House press conferences and yelling questions at her. He starts doing that again. He's in the back and he's like, hey, look, you know, never mind these actors. We've got questions. What's going on with Ukraine? What's going on with the world? What about this banking crisis? Yeah, I've got questions I want to ask. And she tells the guy to shut up. She's, she starts yelling at him and says, we're not going to have this. We're not going to do this. I mean, the, the spectacle of, of a White House, a White House press secretary saying, well, you, we didn't come here to ask, answer any questions. Isn't that like Dr. Strangelove when they said there's no fighting in the war room. You know, the White House press secretary is saying there's no questions at a White House press conference. <laughs> Sit down and be quiet. And the other reporters in the room, the, the, the big media lapdog organizations, they all started jumping up and yelling at the reporter, <laughs> not at her, at the reporter. They're like, hey, sh shut up. We just want to see the Ted Lasso guys. You know, what are, what are you doing here? Asking questions and disrupting and being rude to the, the White House press secretary. You know, we, we, we just wanted to come here and have a nice time with the stars of our favorite comedy show. So they're, they're berating this guy for asking questions. It's just an astounding spectacle. And it seems like such a perfect encapsulation of the absolute nadir of power and influence that we've reached as a country under Joe Biden. In just a couple of years, he's destroyed us. I mean, we're a global laughingstock now. No Nobody cares about anything the Biden administration says or does. They know he's non-compost menace, so there's no reason anybody's going to get excited about anything Joe Biden personally says. And they know his White House is weak and vacillating and indecisive. They've had their butts kicked by every dictatorship and bad guy on the planet, and they've never had any kind of a response to any of it. So they're just collapsing into futility. It didn't used to be this way. A couple of years ago, now, a lot of people in the world, they didn't much care for Donald Trump. A lot of other world leaders were very angry angry at him for things he said, for putting them on the spot, for doing things like insisting NATO members pay more of their dues. And the foreign policy establishment in the United States was uh, pretty upset with Donald Trump when he said things like that. You can't criticize NATO. Don't do that. Oh, my God. They, they gave him a lot of trouble. But you know what? They, they started paying more. It worked. And they didn't like Donald Trump, maybe, but they did take him seriously. And he was able to get some things done. The Abraham Accords were a considerable diplomatic achievement with, with Israel and Arab states making peace with Israel. They, he got some things done on the world stage. It wasn't perfect, wasn't great, wasn't an unbroken string of triumphs. But we were a factor. We were a player. People cared what the United States did, even if some of those other countries were not fond of Donald Trump or his policies and not afraid to say so. But they were listening to him. Joe Biden is nothing. He's reduced this country to an absolute irrelevancy. And the other countries in the world, the other power players, they humor him. Like, you know, they watch him stumble down the steps of his airplane and they just kind of roll their eyes and they have to do a photo op with him. But he's not influential in any meaningful sense. He doesn't have anything to say about what's happening in Ukraine other than that we're just going to keep sending infinite money to Ukraine. So over here in the United States, we have a growing number of people here that are wondering where the exit from Ukraine is. When does this end? How much money do we send them? Is there a limit to how much money we send them? Are we paying any attention to what is done with this money? What weapons will we give them? Will we give them weapons they could use to attack Russia with in a big way. They've already done a couple of cross-border shots here and there, drone attacks and that, that sort of thing. But are we going to give them heavy-duty hardware that they could use to attack across the, the border into Russia with? And, and would they do that? They, they probably would, you know, if they had the capability uh, to go after Russia. So this could very easily escalate. And we've already had this uh, disturbing incident where the Russians shot down an American drone or bumped it down. They ran into it, knocked it out of the sky, made it clear they were considering American aircrafts to be combatants in the area that they've declared their airspace for their special operation in Ukraine. There's a lot of ways this could get worse. And you don't get the impression that anybody running the show has really thought about any of this, about how this could escalate and what the Russians might do. And most of all, where, where do we draw the line? What is our involvement here? How long do we stay in this battle? How far do we take it? And when people speak up and ask these questions, they tend to get shouted down and told they're being unpatriotic and 
they're they're being foolish and the, why the Russians will just take over the world if we don't stop them in Ukraine and, and bleed them dry. Well, there's something to be said for the strategy of an aggressive power getting bled dry in a proxy war. That kind of thing has been done from time to time over the years, especially over the last century. And sometimes it works out pretty well. But the problem here is that we're bleeding ourselves dry too. We're sending titanic amounts of money to Ukraine. Now, all of us together, the U.S. and allies, everybody helping Ukraine, we're sending them more money than Russia spends on its own military. And the power that's really enjoying that show is China. China is watching us spend trillions of dollars we don't have to support this military operation in Ukraine, which may yet go the Russians' way. You know, certainly hope not. I, for one, would like to see them lose. I don't like the idea of an aggressor nation conquering its neighbor for various reasons. I think there's a lot to be said for proving that the world will not stand for this, as uh, Prime Minister Kishida said when he visited Kiev. So I'd like to see the Russians lose. But if the net result is that they do eke out a win and we spent trillions and that still happens, who wins who comes out on top of that china the the country that is now angling to become the undisputed global hegemon and thinks they have nothing but money and power to spend in the future while they watch our influence and money fade away i'm john hayward deputy national security editor for breitbart news we'll be right back with more of the alan nathan show new research released to mark the international day of math reveals that math is the subject most american adults say they're afraid of but it's also the subject they most want their children to be good at. So to help them support their children in building confidence with numbers, a new, fun and engaging computer game called Teach Your Monster Number Skills has hit the market. Junaid Mabeen is a math expert from Number Skills, and he says building your child's confidence from an early age is vital. Getting kids confident with numbers from a very young age is so important to their long-term success in mathematics. And the reason I use Teach Your Monster Number Skills with my own children is that it teaches them about numbers, about how creative and, and playful numbers can be. It's very fun and also educationally very powerful. You can download this great game today. Just search for Teach Your Monster Number Skills online. It's available on all desktop and mobile devices. Trust me, you won't regret it. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country, but unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. 
One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. You can find my work at Breitbart.com, and you can find me on Twitter at DOC underscore zero. While attention has been focused on the potential indictment of former President Donald Trump for campaign finance irregularities, another story has been bubbling under the radar screen about the Biden family receiving a substantial amount of money from interests linked to the Chinese Communist Party. Here with us to talk about that is Chris Widener, president of Politicrossing, one of the top 50 speakers in the world and a member of the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, sir. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So what's the latest here? I've seen stories that we have documents popping up that show the Biden family receiving a huge amount of money from these interests that are fairly directly linked to the Communist Party in China. And there are degrees of such linkage. I mean, every Chinese business ultimately serves the Communist Party. That's how it works over there. But some of them are one step away from the the Communist military closer than others. So what are we dealing with here with the Biden money? Well, you know, I want us to take a step back, just take a step back for a moment. And I want to compare and contrast Donald Trump Jr. and uh, Hunter Biden, because sometimes people say, well, the the Trump kids were doing business all over the world. But let's take a look. Let's assume for a minute that the Trump kids, Eric or or Don, who are still running the, the business, let's say they were doing a hotel in a foreign country. I, uh, first of all, let's say that President Trump was still president and the kids were doing a hotel deal in some other country. Certainly, I think there ought to be transparency to that because the president's involved and those kinds of things. But he'd be doing a hotel deal, which is it's the family business that they've been in for 30-something years. Compare and contrast that to a Hunter Biden who's doing oil deals and financing deals and all these kinds of things that he has no experience, no training He's flying with his dad to China on the airplane, meeting with people, and then bringing them in to do deals with the dad. The whole thing just reeks to high heaven because the difference between the two, first of all, there should always be transparency because we want to make sure that our leaders aren't beholden, whether it's Trump, a Republican, or, or Biden, a Democrat. We need to have transparency. They are people are allowed to do business deals, but we need to understand what the quid pro quo might be. One of the ways you figure out a quid pro quo is if they're doing something they have no experience, no authority, no expertise in, which is the Biden problem. And so I think we have to hold them accountable. Um, You know, Peter Schweitzer wrote the book. uh, uh, It's called Red Handed. He tracks thirty one million dollars directly into the Biden pockets. And then lastly, I'll say this, and we can discuss more, is what really demonstrates how this stinks to high heaven is how soft on China Biden is. It reeks of quid pro quo. You give my family lots of money, I go easy on you later on when I become president. I think this really sticks in the public mind because of Hunter Biden. As you you mentioned, he is such a comical example, so obvious, of someone who has nothing to bring to the table except for his father's political connections. And yet you have all of these millionaires and potentates and and, uh, movers and shakers just lining up to throw gigantic amounts of money at him. For a while, there was a scandal a couple of years ago where he was making these like crude finger paintings and these mysterious oligarchs were showing up and bidding millions of dollars for Hunter Biden's paintings. I mean, the, the corruption is so obvious with him. But he isn't the only member of the Biden family that's been accused of taking Chinese money, is he? No. uh, James Biden, they track it directly to him. Uh, I I think it's pretty patently obvious from just looking at it, let alone the direct testimony of Bobolinsky, is that 10% was being held for the big guy. Come on. you got to be either dumber than a box of rocks or a hardcore leftist Democrat to say, Oh, that doesn't mean that it's Joe Biden. I mean, it's Pat H, which is Hunter, holds 10% for the big guy. 
and then his own writings about how he pays for all the whole family. I mean, it, it really has become a partisan issue where people know that he's guilty, but they defend him anyway because we've just become too divided and too partisan. And when this topic comes up, people who defend the Bidens will occasionally say he hasn't been proven guilty, any of them, uh, of a crime yet. And, of course, they won't be if there's no investigation. So that would be sort of begging the question of should we investigate this stuff? We're obviously going to never have any evidence unless we do. But they'll say there's nothing blatantly illegal about companies hiring Hunter Biden for millions of dollars, even though he has no marketable skills and he's an irrational drug addict. You know, it's their business if they want to throw money at him, whether they be Ukrainian companies or, or Chinese companies or whoever else. But it doesn't look good. But do they have a point there that there's nothing legally actionable here? I don't know that. I'm not an attorney. But let's say that um, let's say that, that Hunter Biden had been a music major or you know something like that or a performing arts major or something, and he was traveling the world doing uh, you know building performance arts centers. That would be a little more rational, a little more reasonable, but we, we would still need full transparency to make sure that it wasn't just to purchase Joe Biden and his presidency. I mean, people who are born into famous families have lots and lots of doors open to them because they're famous. It's just the way life works, right? They get into the best college. Then a guy that, that his dad went to Harvard with hires him into his company. I mean, it, it's just not fair, so to speak, that that's the way that the world works. But we have to make sure, and there has to be transparency, to make sure that that isn't being used to corrupt politicians, which affects all the rest of us as Americans. And I think that's exactly what's happening here, is that Joe Biden is doing the bidding of the Chinese government, because who knows what else they have on him? Who knows what kinds of really disgusting things they might have on Hunter Biden, because I've traveled to China. I've been there on business and, and ministry trips, and they watch you. They listen to you. They record you. They film you. I would imagine they have a slew of things, and I can only imagine that President Xi goes to Joe Biden and says, hey, look, we're going to need you to do this. Otherwise, here's what we have on your kid. What do you do with that? There is a, a sort of a more nuanced, I guess, explanation for this. I've heard some people advance, and they say that in most other countries in the world, including in China, it's kind of standard procedure that you make friends with the ruling class, with the permanent elite, that handshakes are, are traded, that money changes hands, that that's just how things are done, and that the Biden family is basically filling the role that's quite common across the third world and in China, where there's a lot of corruption, where you basically have to throw a little money at somebody's kid before you can start doing business and that that's basically what they're buying. It's just door-opening money. Yeah, that happens all over the world. Africa is renowned for it. Uh, uh, China is renowned for it. I think probably a little less blatant in Europe, but it, it's absolutely true. happens all the time. Should it? No. Not in, a, not in a Judeo-Christian westernized culture. It should not happen because of what we believe to be true about ethics. Well, it seems like a difficult thing to win an argument over because, as you pointed out at the outset, when you say something about the Biden family, then the other side is going to say, what about the Trump family? And there's going to be a tit for tat, you did it first, no, you did it first kind of argument, and we're never going to get to a more clean system. How could we get to a more clean system? Can you really forbid the children of politicians from taking six-figure jobs? Well, I don't think we can keep them from taking six-figure jobs or seven-figure jobs or eight-figure deals. I don't think you can. But what we must demand as, as people of the United States is transparency so that we can see into what's actually happening and what the ramifications are. That's good advice, and we do need to know more about these things. And unfortunately, again, it's a partisan issue, so we only hear demands for transparency when one side, when the Republican guy, is in trouble. So I think we need to, as a society, we need to work on that and set our sights a bit higher. Chris Widener, president of Politicrossing, one of the top speakers in the world. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm John Hayward, sitting in for Alan today. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show.
From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is in the air, and now's the time to spring forward with a delicious breakfast from Burger King, an all-natural Simply Orange juice. Begin your day with a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich with sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant, or a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit on a warm buttermilk biscuit. And make it a meal. All Burger King breakfast sandwiches go great with crispy hash browns and pair perfectly with a Simply Orange juice with no added sugar. Never sweetened, never concentrated, and never frozen. Simply Orange goes perfectly with breakfast at Burger King and is rich in vitamin C. And now through March 31st on the BK app, Royal Perks members get a free single core sandwich with any Simply Orange juice purchase. Use code BREAKFAST to redeem. Get a jump on spring with breakfast at Burger King. Because you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants. Royal Perks account required. Restrictions apply. See offer terms for details. Not valid on delivery orders. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM. So can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor, Breitbart News. Artificial intelligence is a big, big topic in the political and industrial world today because it's a new technology that is growing quite quickly. There have been some stunning demonstrations recently of what AI is now capable of doing, and it has applications to many different industries. And there are fears that AI is going to put people out of work because fewer people can do the same job. If you have AI, the computer can do it. You can have the artificial intelligence taking over the job entirely or doing a lot of the legwork at least. And that means you end up needing fewer human workers. And that that is a concern. The other thing AI does is it makes certain industries much easier to run, especially when it comes to information technology. And unfortunately, one of the things that AI makes the easiest is censorship. AI is the atomic bomb force multiplier for censorship. If you have AI tech, you can control people's speech, you can monitor them, you can surveil them and collate data about them in a way that simply was not possible even with previous eras of computer technology. See, AI is not just about a computer that can talk. That's what everybody kind of thinks of when you say the term. So they imagine talking robots, terminators, what have you, and then they think of an intelligence simulating a human mind. And that's one of those things that it may eventually be doing. That's an argument we may need to have uh, somewhere down the road. And right now, the AI technology that has got everybody's attention is this thing called ChatGPT, which is a search engine that you talk to, basically. ChatGPT simulates a person, a human being sitting there, and you speak to it conversationally, and then it does whatever you tell it to do. And it has some pretty amazing abilities to do what it does. It can go out and find information for you. It can process that information. It can write poetry. Uh, There are AI programs out there where you can tell them to create works of art and they just do it. You can tell it to make an image and boom, the image appears. And they they have some pretty amazing uh, examples of what it does, how it understood what you were really asking for. You say, I want to see Donald Duck drawn by Picasso and it knows what Picasso means. It knows who Donald Duck is and it draws a picture that looks like the art style that you recommend. It's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. This is what really gets people's attention and makes them think of AI. But what AI really is, is a very efficient force multiplier that reduces human interaction. When you have an artificial intelligence, you don't need a person micromanaging the process anymore. So instead of a person executing every step of a long, complicated procedure, they can tell the AI, uh, do this, and the AI understands the request and does all of the heavy lifting in a fraction of the time the human could do it. And that's how these, uh, like the picture painting stuff works. When you tell the program you want Donald Duck drawn by Picasso, you could have done that more or less if you had the artistic ability. You could have looked up information. You could have fired up your Photoshop. You could have made that picture. But the AI understands what you're asking for, and it does it in seconds instead of you working on it for hours. That's the, the real power of artificial intelligence. And that is a wonderful tool for censorship, because if you're going to monitor what people are saying and censor them, you either need a huge number of people. Uh, China would be the world's leading censor, and they employ literally millions of people whose job is just to monitor online conversations, news media, foreign broadcasts, and censor everything that they don't want their subjects to see. So they, they really have the, the human army doing this. But China is also way ahead on AI, and they're using artificial intelligence for censorship, and that's going to make some possibilities here that are very frightening as well. There's a great piece at The Federalist today by Margot Cleveland called Grants Reveal Fed's Horrific Plan to Censor or American speech. And what she talks about at great length in there is how they're using AI technology to monitor us and censor us in a way that just wasn't possible when it was people that had to do it. The AI can look for keywords. It can look for context. It can bear in mind who you are, who you talk to. It can suss out your networks of Twitter followers and Facebook friends and whoever else that you have in your orbit. It can follow your conversations to their final destination. And it can give all of that information to censors or it can implement censorship based on the directives that it was given. And it's just terrifying to see how powerful this technology is. It's all stuff that could be done without AI, but it's just harder. It takes a lot of people. How do you hire enough people to monitor millions of Twitter conversations every day? Well, an AI can do it. 
you, know, you, you may not be able to hire enough people to do that efficiently, but the AI certainly can do it. We're already familiar with algorithms that, that we've heard about now at these social media companies, and they were suppressing speech and forbidden topics and quietly throttling conservatives and stuff. Well, AI can do all of that a million times better. You can tell the AI what you're going for, and it can implement censorship in obvious and covert ways uh, as it implements its judgments. There was an interesting story about ChatGPT, this, this uh, AI chat program, where they found out that if you ask it questions in Chinese, the answers are different than if you ask it in English, if it's a topic of political relevance to China. And in that case, it wasn't that the program had been written to please the Chinese communists. It wasn't anything so obvious as that. It was that when you ask ChatGPT a question in Chinese, it goes and looks at Chinese publications for the answer, and they are controlled by the communist government. So its answers are colored then, to some degree, by the Chinese government's responses. But then other people looked at ChatGPT, and they found out that when it comes to domestic political censorship, it is explicitly programmed to impose a certain mindset, certain views, most of them towards the left. Its answers will be colored by its programmers telling it what to think about various topics, and almost all of those ideological judgments were of a left-wing bent. As people played with it, they found out that that was the case. So you, you don't know this. If you're just an end user, a consumer, and uh, Microsoft is going to implement one of these AI programs in their browser, they had a big demonstration of how this is going to work uh, last month and it was a huge hit it was a sensation that they're going to have this ai browser where you could just talk to it and the thing goes out and does research you don't have to look up a recipe with this browser you can tell it i'm going to have a party for 12 people and they like mexican food what should i make and it's going to like do a cookbook it'll even tell you where to go get the food it'll order the food <laughs> that that's how advanced this thing is based on on your desires so that that's going to be a lot of power placed at your disposal, at the disposal of business people, entrepreneurs, marketing people that are going to have this incredible capability. And that means that censorship is going to be more of a problem than ever, especially when it's subtle. See, when you're told you're being censored, that's different than when it's done quietly. It's much more insidious when it's done quietly. When somebody tells you you're being silenced, you get angry. What do you mean censorship? What do you mean I can't say this? That's an outrage. And you're going to take that and run with it, maybe get your friends, maybe contact the media. You're going to make a big production out of it, and it's going to turn into a story. But if you're, if you're censored quietly, subtly, so that you don't even know what's happening, well, what are you supposed to say? You don't know. It's just being done to you. So maybe you talk to the AI search engine and it gives you politically cooked answers. The powers that be have decided you don't need to know about Hunter Biden's laptop. So you ask for information about the Biden's Chinese connections and none of that's in there because it's been quietly censored off your news feed by people who decided you didn't need to know that or vice versa. You are a dangerous subversive. I probably qualify myself. So you're out there talking on social media and you don't know that the powers that be have decided that some of your messages are not going to be seen, that maybe they're going to limit how many people can see your messages, that maybe they're going to quietly disconnect you from some of the people that follow you on social media and like to read your stuff. I occasionally hear from people that tell me this happened to them. They followed me for years, and all of a sudden one day they didn't see my tweets anymore, so they thought I went away. And they're like, oh, no, I'm still out there. They, they just don't see me anymore. How did that happen? Hmm. And it only seems to happen to people of a conservative bent. Putting AI into this is going to make all of that a lot worse. The information environment that you live in can be shaped and molded by this kind of technology in ways that you can barely even dream of yet. And of course, I'm sure you've probably seen some of the demonstrations of how AI can cook up fake photographs, can make fake audio recordings. There's, this, there's a thing out there now, it's an AI website, where you can tell it to uh, simulate somebody's voice and say something, and it will do it with a tremendous degree of skill. It creates very realistic sounding audio clips of celebrities or, you know, Darth Vader or, you know, a person, Joe Biden, whoever, saying something that you tell it to say. And it's very convincing. I mean, some of them are, are crude, but some of them sound really, really good, good enough to fool people. So a blizzard of AI-created misinformation could be coming your way. And how are you going to know the difference when you see a, a Photoshop, a doctored photo, or a doctored audio clip or video that was created with this technology? How do you know it isn't for real? How are you supposed to defend yourself against that? You're going to have to put more trust than ever in the gatekeepers of information. And unfortunately, they just spent years proving to you that they can't be trusted, that they have agendas, that they think nothing of massaging the information you see. They think they have a righteous duty 
to do that when it comes to a topic like the coronavirus. During the height of the coronavirus pandemic, you had people out there deciding that certain things were not true or were disinformation, and it turned out they absolutely were true later on. But the, the powers that be said at the time, well, this is harmful. We don't want people to know this. And so they throttled and suppressed and downplayed that information in every way that they possibly could. And they, they do it again in a hot heartbeat. There's no reason to think that the people who did that last time wouldn't do it again if they thought it was a sufficiently important situation. They thought the coronavirus pandemic warranted them taking control of information, of censoring what people were saying, of guiding the national conversation in a way that was never done before. Now put these more powerful tools in their hands, make it even easier for them to control what you see, who you're allowed to talk to, and what you're allowed to talk about. And unfortunately, our authorities, government and corporate, have not proven themselves trustworthy with this level of power. But it's almost in their hands, and I'm not sure what we do about it. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan today. We will be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. 
People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. Well, within the last hour, Chinese President Xi Jinping emerged from his meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Moscow, brandishing some paperwork that they say has firmed up the already tight alliance between the two of them. There are new economic deals, new trade deals, and it looks like the Russians are promoting China as the peacemaker here for the first time, I think, since they began these these conversations with each other, uh, Putin has said that he thinks China's peace plan for Ukraine is viable and they support it and they want China to be the one running the table when the negotiations begin. So a new phase of Russia and China's alliance has begun. And as some people suspected, China might be using Ukraine as a way to vault itself into global prominence. Here with us to talk about this is Lyle Goldstein, Director of Asia Engagement at Defense Priorities, previously a research professor at the U.S. Naval War College for 20 years. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, sir. Uh, Thanks very much. I'm glad to join you. So the Russians and Chinese have said all along that their partnership is without limits. Now it looks like they're proving it by signing papers, firming it up in a concrete way. And you have the Russians openly embracing the Chinese as a potential peacemaker in Ukraine for the first time. Where does that leave us and what would the Biden administration's next move be? Well, I think it, um, you know, clearly is a partnership that that does have some limits. And I I think we should... uh, probably recognize that. I don't see a lot changing here. I mean, we, we knew that, uh, that, that China was um, a kind of a neutral, but a, a sort of pro-Russian neutral, and that, that's just confirmed by what we've seen. Uh, the real question I think that all of us are wondering about is whether, you know, is, is there something unsaid here? Is, has there been a change? Will, will China move to arming uh, Russia uh, full up, uh, that that would be a huge uh, change, and and that would of course require some kind of robust response. But I don't think, I don't think that's in the cards actually. Um, so there might be changes on the margins here, but uh, I, I think that uh, we shouldn't exaggerate um, uh, the dangers here. You know, we've always known this was a close relationship, and now we just uh, know that. Um, a bit more, let's say. Well, the uh, Chinese, according to some reports, have begun supplying the Russians with ammunition. They haven't uh, announced it openly yet, but there there are some that say that they have been doing it on the sly. And this is mm-hmm. the first time, I think, that I've heard any top Russian official come out and say they openly supported China's peace plan. Up until now, they kept saying, gee, that's nice, thanks mm-hmm. for the effort, but there's a lot to talk about and we have our own agenda. Mm-hmm. But here's Putin saying, nope, this peace plan's great and we're going to use this as a foundation for talks. Well, I mean, look, um, uh, let's say uh, Mr. Putin knows where his bread is buttered. I mean, he has to uh, play along. I, I don't know that, you know, from what I can gather, the Russians are, let's say, uh, mediocre at best on the on the plan. Um, and, and let's face it, the, there's not there's very little detail in the plan. It's just a bunch of broad principles. So, I mean, what they're really saying is they're they're good with the process that they're fine with the Chinese playing a kind of important, you know, maybe even a leadership uh, role, uh, and that shouldn't really surprise us. As far as the weapons go, 
look, I, I have seen a little bit of the evidence. Uh, it's kind of coming through in dribs and drabs. Uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of Chinese uh, drones, for example, flying all over Ukraine. But that's been since the beginning and, frankly, has been on both sides. But it hasn't been an official policy for China to pass weapons. So agree, it, it could be happening on the margins a little bit and on a small scale. Uh, yes, that is probably going on. And no doubt, a lot of the components for Russian weapons are, are coming from China. So I, I'm not you know, downplaying or minimizing their role. I just think what I'm trying to say is it could be much, much, much worse. Uh, and that we could see, uh, you know, huge uh, convoys coming out of China carrying, uh, you know, that, that really could be, as uh, I think an American official said a couple of weeks ago, a game changer. And uh, we haven't seen anything like that. And I don't even see any hints of that. So um, that's what needs, I think, to be avoided. Uh, we're, there's no way we're going to stop every kind of, uh, you know, small, small scale shipment. Uh, the ammunition, for example, could be from years ago. You know, it's hard to know. Lee, uh, you mentioned earlier China's position of neutrality uh, on the Ukraine invasion. And the President Xi used that exact word when he came out of his meetings with Putin today. And the Chinese are saying that because they're neutral, they're the only neutral superpower. The United States obviously is invested on Ukraine's side, so only China can be trusted to host whatever negotiations may follow. And the Ukrainians have said they're interested in hearing what the Chinese had to say. They were just very insistent that they're not going to get into a negotiation that ends with Russia keeping Ukrainian territory. So it looks like there, there's a position here for China to take as the as the head of the peace conference if they want to take it. Is there an answer to offer to that? I mean, the Biden administration hates it and they're criticizing it, but is there anything they can do about it? Well, you know, my view is that we have huge amount of influence in throughout Europe and and in Ukraine uh, in particular. So I don't, you know, I, I'm quite certain that. Uh, this war will not end with a Chinese negotiation and, and Ukraine agreeing to all the terms. You know, uh, I think Ukraine is in quite a strong position. Uh, I think we've backed them and, and we'll continue to back them. Uh, my own view is that, you know, I don't think uh, Ukraine is in a position at all, you know, not even close to try to reconquer Crimea. Uh, and I have my doubts that they may even be able to uh, even come close to conquering all the rest of the territory, you know, Donbass, et cetera. So, um, you know, I, I, I call myself a realist. I, the war, you know, has to come to an end. I think we're getting, you know, we're, we're let's say, well beyond a quarter million dead and wounded, and I think, you know, headed in, in, a, in a very tragic direction. So, so you know, I'm myself, uh, I'm favorable to, to any kind of peace proposal. Let's hear them out, you know, no matter where they come from, whether it be Turkey or China or Japan or whoever. Um, and, and I hope the Biden administration will not uh, just stand on ceremony, but will start to get down to examining real issues of how, how a peace might look. Uh, but, but certainly it's got to involve a lot of support for Ukraine. Now, some U.S. officials are saying that the whole reason Xi Jinping went to meet with Putin was to shield him from the International Criminal Court putting out a warrant for his arrest. The ICC issued a warrant on Friday for Putin's arrest, accused him of war crimes for kidnapping Ukrainian children and shipping them back into Russia. And the whole point of Xi being there is to make that look like nonsense, to just rubbish that whole arrest warrant and show that China has no intention of honoring any such thing. And that would fit with China's whole foreign policy of wanting to neutralize international sanctions and and human rights concerns and so on as an instrument of foreign policy. Is China going to be able to protect Putin from the ICC? And does that arrest warrant really matter? They're probably not going to just run in and arrest him, but does it make any difference at all? Well, my own theory there is actually it was the other way around, that probably the the arrest warrant came out uh, conveniently uh, right about the time when she was it was announced that she was going to China. In other words, it was uh, partly the it's kind of a political game to try to further embarrass uh, the Chinese Move leader, and obviously, uh, obviously the uh, the Russian Thanks president. For- so.
you know, we'll have to cut it there. Uh, while we're running out of time, thanks for joining us. I'm John Hayward. Thank you very much for joining us this hour on the Alan Nathan Show. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact. Contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.